So delighted uh, to be able to share this message from God's Word. I'm going to be in Acts chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, that would be fantastic to go ahead and turn there. If not, we will print the text on the screen. Uh, many of you have your Acts devotionals, which is, which is so cool. And if you're a guest and you plan on coming back, we want to give you one of these uh, devotionals. If we can find one, I think we can. You can write your notes in it. We're studying the book of Acts. We're going verse by verse. And uh, it's going to take a few, um, a few days, right, a few months, maybe a couple of years to finish it. But I'm so delighted to be able to preach God's Word. Listen, if you are online, thank you for watching us. And if you'd take a moment and uh, just click, uh, click your share button, even if you're in here like me, I clicked share just a moment ago to let all my friends know, in case they didn't know where I was at Great Hills uh, Baptist Church. And so that would be really cool if you'd do that. Thank you, by the way. Thank you so much. Many of you prayed, prayed hard for me uh, last week when I uh, participated in this Ironman competition down in the woodlands. 3,000 people uh, paid and uh, entered, and 1,000 didn't finish. So I'm just happy to say I was one of those uh, 2,000 that did finish. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So cool. Thank you all for praying for me. The thing that I had feared the most was the thing I did the best in, and that was the swim. And that is just glory, glory to God. How many men do we have in church today? I'm just curious. If you are of the male gender, you were born a male, you're a biological male, praise the Lord. Won't you stand up? Let me just, let me just, let me get you to stand up for just a moment, all right? All right, man. Look at all these men. Woohoo! Y'all remain standing, if you would. Remain standing for them. I got a little message here for the men. I, I, I don't have a whole lot of original thoughts and and I borrowed, steel is such a harsh word, but I borrowed this from somebody I know. And I want y'all to repeat this after me. And I'm going to give you a line and just let you repeat it after me. Six o'clock Wednesday night, we're going to be meeting in the uh, Great Hall. We're going to have a good time of sharing together war stories. We're going to have a meal for five bucks. And if you, I tell you, if you're just of the male gender and you need some encouragement, you just need some affirmation, you need some motivation, I want you to come. So well, let me ask you, are you going to be there, Brother Danny? Absolutely. I need encouragement. I need motivation. I need to be around men of God as iron sharpens iron. Uh, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So six o'clock right out there in the great hall. I'll read it to you just in case you're afraid of repeating something you've never heard before. So I'll read it. Then I'm going to ask you to repeat it after me. It says, God has a plan. I may not know how. I may not know when, but God will deliver again. All right. Let me say that. I'm going to say a line and you repeat it after me. You ladies are going, well, what about us? I mean, we're just sitting here. We're not doing anything. Hey, next week is Mother's Day. Woohoo! Next Sunday is Mama's Day. We're going to have a good time with that. All right. God has a plan. Let me hear you, man. I may not know how. I may not know when. But God will deliver again. Praise God. You may be seated. Look forward to seeing y'all Wednesday night. It's going to be fun. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has nobody than this, that someone would be willing to lay down their lives uh, for their friend. Just a couple of weeks ago in a synagogue, the Kabad uh, Synagogue in San Diego, California, just a couple of Saturdays ago. A madman comes into the synagogue and he's shooting and uh, he's going for the rabbi, going for the person that is uh, leading the worship service. And but before he can uh, penetrate the rabbi with the bullets, a lady, Katie, steps in front of the rabbi, Rabbi Goldstein. 
and she gives her life. She literally stepped in front of the rabbi, her friend. She's married. She has an adult uh, daughter, lays down her life for his. He was injured in the shooting, and as he was going into surgery, he said, please, please let everybody know that she literally saved my life. A few years ago, when President George W. was uh, the President of the United States, 2008, he awarded a man by the name, well, actually awarded his parents, uh, Michael Monsoor. Um, he was a Navy SEAL. He was in Ramadan, uh, Ramadi, Iraq, around 2004. He was a sniper. He was up on top of a roof. There were three Navy SEALs and three Iraqi soldiers. And Michael Mansour, second class petty officer Michael Mansour, he is there and he's doing his job and he is um, on this rooftop. And all of a sudden, somehow, some enemy soldier is able to toss a grenade and it lands right there in the middle of those six soldiers, three SEALs and three Iraqi soldiers. Now, Michael, he has his weapon, but he has an access, he has an ability to, to jump out of the way of that grenade, and he could have easily spared his life. But in a split second, he knew he could get away, but there's no way the guys in that room and the way they were contained that they could get away. So guess what he did? He literally throws down his weapon, and he lands squarely on this grenade, and it detonates, and it explodes, and it kills him immediately. But all five of those other men, their lives were saved. And so he receives, or his parents do. I guess he would receive it posthumously, but his parents are rewarded or awarded the medal of honor. And Jesus said, greater love has nobody than this, that you would be willing to lay down your life for your friends. That is precisely what Jesus Christ did for you and for me almost 2,000 years ago on a cross in Jerusalem at Golgotha, the place of the skull where Jesus Christ literally died so that you and I would not have to die an eternal death. And so today I have the great honor, the tremendous privilege to be able to preach the Word of God to you today, to talk to you about the gospel. I, we sang it just a moment ago. We sang about the blood and we sang about the life of Jesus. And I love this video bump that uh, Brother Terry found for us. It, it all centers around this gospel message that still is changing people's lives even to this day. So I'm going to read uh, Acts chapter 3. This is a sermon that Peter preached during Pentecost. He's already preached one sermon and 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord and they're baptized and they're incorporated into the local church. Amazing miracle. Now he's about to preach a second sermon. And 5,000 men, men, 5,000 men are going to say yes to Jesus Christ. And so the church is going to go from 120 to 3,120, now 8,120. You, you get the picture? I mean, this church, the early church, as the apostles are preaching the gospel, they're sharing the good news that God has come. And in this epic cosmic story of good versus evil, and somebody comes and lays down their life, and Peter is, he's boldly proclaiming it. He's unashamedly proclaiming that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come and died, and he, 
He paid the price for all the sins of the world. He rose from the dead and everybody who believes in Him shall be saved. And so the church is just like this conflagration, like this prairie fire that is just sweeping across Jerusalem and it will penetrate the Roman world, the known world. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, and we're still singing His praise and we're still rejoicing in what God has done for us in that He laid down His life so that you and I could live. So it's Acts chapter 3 in verses 11 through 19 is what I'll read for you now. Really, I need to go through verse 26, but trust me, I'm going to keep you long enough just going through verse 19. If you're a guest here at Great Hills Baptist Church, by the way, we're thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that you are here. We make much of Jesus at Great Hills, and we make much of the Bible. Those, hey, that's, that's what we do. That we are, we're trying to be, best we can, a New Testament church a church that's not a cult personality, it's not built on me, it's not built on some performance, it's not built on some activity, but it's squarely built upon the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, the Holy Spirit of God coming down from heaven into us, transforming us to be men and women and boys and girls, students of God, where we go out and live a life that reflects the glory of God. And that's who we are. That's, that's our church, Great Hills Baptist Church. So let me, let me read the text. All right, you ready? Now, as the lame man who was healed held on. Look at that word with me for just a moment. The, the, the Greek word there in verse 11, held on, is the word kratos. Kreteo is the, is the Greek verb. It means to fasten it means to seize. It was actually the word used for a police arrest. When somebody is belligerent and they're trying to get away and the policemen just don't go, well, hey there, buddy, how are you doing? Let me pat you on. No, no, it's, there is a violent moment of, of holding on. And this lame man who had born lame, he's going to die lame, and God rescued him. And there was a supernatural miracle where his ankle bones and his knees and the cartilage and the tendons and the muscles, they, they just coalesced like they should. And he began to walk and he's leaping up and down and he's jumping up and down and, and he cannot contain himself. And so the Bible says that that lame man who was healed grabbed Peter and John. Are y'all with me? They just didn't just like, hey, Peter, hey, John, how y'all doing? No, they like grabbed him. I said, man, I'm not letting him. I wouldn't let him go either. I mean, they're just let, holding on. And all the people thousands of people at Pentecost. They ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. What's the last time you've seen somebody healed supernaturally? And, and this person is unashamedly just shouting and praising God. There's a commotion going on. And they're like, what is going on there? I mean, something miraculous has happened. So Peter saw it and he responded to the people. And I want you to pay close attention to what Peter did do and what Peter did not do. There is a vast multitude of people, and Peter has them, if you will, in the palm of his hands. Thousands upon thousands. It is the sacrificial hour. It is the prayer time. It's the evening, and the, and the temple precincts are swelling. I mean, the place is busting and burgeoning with people everywhere. Now you got this commotion and somebody's claiming to be healed. And, and then all these people run into Solomon's portico or his porch, the covering on the eastern side of the temple. And, and Peter, he looks around and we know there are at least 5,000 men. Who knows how many people are there? And Peter has this grand moment. 
And guess what he does? He preaches the gospel. He preaches the gospel. He says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, Peter and John, John and I, as though by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? No, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom, this is where it's just, just so fascinating to me, Peter has an opportunity here. He can become a crowd pleaser, and he can become somebody that's just going to be, oh man, you're just the coolest guy on the planet. All these people are here at your disposal, and yet he just takes like an arrow out of the quiver, and he shoots it right through the hearts of the listeners. You say, why would he do that? Why would he tell people they're sinners, and why would he convict them like that and tell them that you killed Jesus Christ and God raised him from the dead, you people need to repent? You say, why did he do that? The reason he did that is because this is the message of the gospel. And people cannot hear the good news that they're going to heaven unless, first of all, they hear the bad news that they have sinned and egregiously, violently sinned against a holy God, and they need reconciliation. He said, well, wait a minute. That's not what I hear today in most churches in America. We don't talk about the bloody cross, the bloody religion. We don't want to make people feel bad. We don't want people to hear about sin when they come to church. My word, my word, there's enough problems in the world today. Why would people want to come to a church and they hear about sin and, and, and reconciliation and redemption? And here's why. The greatest act in all of history is that God invaded our ugly night of sin, and He sent a Redeemer, and this is the gospel. Whom you delivered up, He said. You people. Yeah. Some of y'all were here just a few days ago, weren't you? About five weeks ago. You saw what happened. You saw that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, you denied Him in the presence of Pilate. Remember, you were the people who said, give us Barabbas. Give us a murderer. We don't want this guy, Jesus. Who is he? We, we want Barabbas, the murderer. When he, Pilate, was determined to let him go. Six times, guys, six times in the Gospels, it's recorded that Pilate says, let me let this guy go. What has he done to you? But you denied the Holy One and the just. And you asked for Barabbas, a murderer, to be granted to you. And you killed Jesus. You killed the prince, the archegos of life. That's the title of my sermon today, the prince of life. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead, and we are his witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, Jesus, has made this man, now you gotta, you gotta think with some sanctified imagination for just a moment, all right? He's still hanging on, you know? He's like, yeah, 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 that's me, that's me. And, and Peter's probably going, okay, man, hold on just a second. I know you're happy, but I kinda gotta preach to these people. Now, this guy right here, who's going ballistic, crazy, excited, this man who was healed, I'm telling you, he was healed through the name of Jesus Christ, whom you see, and you know this guy, okay? Yes, the faith which comes through Christ has given him, former lame man, this perfect soundness. Ah, oh, I love that phrase. 
perfect soundness. When I think of that phrase, I think of spiritual soundness, mental soundness, physical soundness, emotional soundness. I mean, in in every dimension of the word whole, this holistic moment, this man has been changed and transformed by Jesus Christ. You killed him, by the way. You killed him. And yet he was God's gift to us. And through his name, this man has been healed. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know what you did, that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his holy prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So therefore, and I love this, in light of all that I've shared with you, man's pressing need, God's powerful, uh, God's powerful intervention and how God has provided, and now here's your response. Here's humanity's proper response to everything that I've just shared with you. Peter's preached this awesome sermon. He's still preaching it, and he stops right in the middle of it, and he says, and the people are probably going, oh my word, what in the world has happened? That Jesus who we killed, God raised him up. He's healed this guy. Oh, my word. What in the world? And, G- and Peter's almost like saying, okay, hold on just a second. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to repent. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Wow. As I read this sermon uh, today, I am so motivated I'm so inspired because I too am a gospel preacher. I'm a Bible teacher preacher. And when I read somebody else's sermons, especially Peter's and John's and the apostles, and I read their messages and how Christocentric they were. I've said many times here at Great Hills, we we have so much anthropomorphism that we need a whole lot more Christocentrism sermons less about man and less about our felt needs and less about, you know, our worries and fears and concerns. If, if we maximize that and we keep talking about that and minimizing the gospel of Jesus Christ, then no wonder we're going to come to church and we're going to be going, well, where's the remedy? Man, where is the power that can set me free from my addiction? Or where is the power? Is there an explosive enough power that will enable me and empower me to love my wife like I should love my wife and to be faithful to my marriage vows. Is there a power in the cosmos that would enable me and empower me? And I just want you to know, when you come to Great Hills Baptist Church, you're going to hear a resounding, yes, there is a power. And it's the power of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy... Man, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, He is the power. He's the one that changes us. He is the one that enables us and empowers us to be the people that He wants us to be. But if you don't hear about that, you never hear about that. Then you'll walk away going, well, where, where, where is it? And Peter's going to say, I'm not going to make any apologies, and I'm not going to stutter. I'm going to tell you, it's, it's Christ. And here, here's how he lays out his sermon. There's really three parts to it I want you to look at with me today. Number one, he, he talks about humanity's pressing need. He talks about the need that we have. This is great need, and He is a great Savior to meet that need. In fact, He's the only one who can meet this need. One preacher put it like this, and I really like the way he said it. There have been many false views of Jesus throughout 
history, from noble example to political revolutionary. Now, to imagine a Jesus who was not the Savior, He is the Savior of the world. To imagine Jesus not being the Savior is as foolish as to imagine that Shakespeare was not a writer or Rembrandt was not a painter. His name is Jesus not because He is our example, our guide, our leader, our friend. Yes, He is all of those things, but He's so much more. His name is Jesus because He is our Savior. Let me say this, though. How do you know you need a Savior? If you're always hearing about how good you are and how wonderful you are, I'm okay, you're okay, the world's okay, then where does Jesus fit into that? If we don't recognize that there's this deep cavernous hole in our souls, if we don't realize that we have sinned egregiously against a holy God, God is holy, He's awesome, and we're sinful, and and we need Him, and unless we hear that, then we think we can just go through life and everything is okay. And Peter says, no, no, we're not okay. So the people run to Peter. They run to John. And they, they're there at the colonnade. And Peter stands up and he, and he preaches. And the people are, are greatly amazed. And Peter, in verse 12, he just begins to recount to them what has happened over the last few weeks. And the place is crowded. It's packed with people. I don't know about you, but I can see it in my mind's eye. I haven't been to Jerusalem. And I'm on the eastern side now of this massive Herod's temple, and and people are throngs and multitudes are gathered together. And Peter, he goes, why are you people so shocked? Do y'all think I had the power to do this? Do you you think John and I, us mere mortals, do you think we had the power to heal this man? It's not my power, it's certainly not my piety, and it's not my authority. It's in the power and the authority and the piety and the godliness of Jesus Christ that this man is healed. Well, he said, well, he don't sound much like a pope. No. Peter never envisioned himself as a pope. He's a, he's a pastor. He's a preacher. And we have, we have so twisted the Scripture, and we've created an apostle Peter. I don't even think Peter would ever recognize. He's, I'm not some holy pontiff father. I'm just a preacher of Jesus Christ. I don't have that power. I don't have that ability to heal anybody. But let me tell you somebody who does. His name is Jesus the Christ, who you crucified, by the way. I bet the people are going, ooh, man, what in the world is going on? And Peter just keeps, he keeps preaching. He confronts them with this amazing dilemma. Since only God can perform a miracle, and a miracle has been performed, why in the world do we kill the very guy? Why do we kill him? And that person was... God's answer and God's remedy to my sin problem. Oh, my word, we, we've, got, we've got a problem on our hands. And Peter, he is pressing this. He's saying, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, I'm in verse 13, the God of our fathers. God glorified Jesus in the healing of this man. But what we have done is we have committed a treacherous, egregious, heinous crime against the Messiah some, some of us here at Great Hills Baptist Church today, maybe you're watching us online, you're thinking, I'm glad I wasn't there that day, buddy. Woo, no, no, no. I, no guilt on my hands, no blood on my hands. Let me just tell us all, we are all equally guilty. My sin put Jesus on that cross. The ugly things that I think, the dastardly deeds that I'm so capable of, 
the thoughts that I have, the sins that I commit, the words that I say, the things that separate me from a holy God. And Jesus Christ says, you can't do it on your own. You need me. And Christ does. For the sins of the world, praise God, He died for my sin. And by the way, I have no problem recognizing I'm a sinner. Do you? If, you do, if, you, if you're clean and pure and holy and you've never said anything, done anything, or spoken anything, would you please stand? Let, let, me, get your, let me get your autograph, man. Let me, let me, tell me, please. How do you do that? No. When I say humanity's pressing need, I mean all of humanity's pressing need. What a paradox. Jesus came to deliver them, and yet they rejected and delivered him to Pilate. They rejected the Holy One for an unholy criminal named Barabbas. They killed, we killed, the Prince of Life, the author of life, for another man who took another person's life. It's a, it's a divine, cosmic dilemma, perplexity. Verse 15, it's, just, it's hard for us to grasp what is going on in verse 15. These men who heard Peter preach, they're deeply disturbed, they're convicted, they're remorseful. In Acts 4, 4 says 5,000 of them, mercy, 5,000. They pray to receive Christ. They, they saw their, their need that I've sinned against God and Jesus Christ is my only hope, my, my life preserver, my, my remedy, my help. I don't know if you've seen Avengers Endgame yet. Anybody seen that movie, by the way? Okay, about 90% of you, amen. For the 10% who have not seen it, I don't want to be that guy, you know, it just spoils it for you. What do you call that, the spoiler? But let me just, let me, can I tell you just enough? Well, I am, so... Think, think about it, if you haven't seen, if you've seen the movie, and even if you haven't, what is the theme of the movie except cosmic good versus evil? Thanos is back. He's a bad mama jama. I is a bad man. And it's all going to be devastation, destruction, because mankind, humanity, can't save themselves. They need somebody human, but more than human, to save them. And when he lays down his life, everybody is saved. Come on now, help me. Where, where did that come from? Where, where did this cosmic good versus evil, a redeemer who saves the world, where did that come from? Listen, evolution is amazing. <laughs> evolution came up with this the story, no. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God put all this on our hearts. God put eternity in our hearts. And it's so amazing to me that preachers will not stand up and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, but Hollywood will. Hollywood says, no, it's truth. I mean, <laughs> And it's embedded upon our hearts. This is cosmic good versus evil, and we have to have a redeemer. He comes and rescues us all, and hallelujah, that's, that's the story. Well, where does that come from except from a God who created us? A God who says, yes, there's a good, and yes, there's an evil. 
And I'm telling you, there is a God-man who comes and he intervenes and he lays down his life and all who will believe on him, they will have victory over a power far greater than Thanos. They will have victory over the devil himself. It's the gospel. That's why I'm so excited to share this message with you. It's, it's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that mankind, we are in need. We are in desperate need of a victor, of someone to set us free. Okay, point number two is, here it comes, God's solution. We know our need. And I want you to notice five ways that Peter describes Jesus in this sermon. You say, please help me, Pastor. Five, five more points in addition to the three you already given us. What, what's happening? I mean, what's happening? It's an eight-point sermon. I, what, what's happening? I'm, I'm hungry. I mean, it's, man, I tell you guys, we, we get a few moments... we get to preach Christ. And I don't get to stand up here and tell you how cool and clever and how slick I am and how cool and clever and amazing you are. And we're going to go out and live our greatest lives now because we're all amazing and we're all wonderful. No, but I come in here and I say, we're not amazing. We're broken. We're hurt. We're wounded. And God intervened and he sent his son to be the Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Helper. And Peter says, let me describe him for you this way. And Peter's going to give five descriptive phrases of Jesus. Number one, he says, his servant Jesus came, verse 13. I was curious, so I asked, how many times is the name Jesus mentioned in the New Testament? Any guessers? Any? Don't, don't Google it, because that's not fair, you know. How many times do you think? A hundred? Somebody said 100 and somebody said 5,000. I can answer the question. It's somewhere in between, all right? <laughs> 925 times. 925 times the name Jesus is mentioned in the New Testament. The root word in the Hebrew is Yeshua or Joshua. Joshua means Yahweh saves. So the name Jesus literally means my Savior, Okay. Jesus is mentioned 925 times. Matthew 121, the angel told Joseph, you will bring forth a son. You will call his name Jesus for he will, anybody? Save. True to his name, true to his nature, he will save his people from their sins. He is the servant Jesus. Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but what? To serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Philippians 2 Six, seven, eight, nine, the bondservant. He came and humbled himself, became obedient to the death of a cross. And he died and he bled. And Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, was a servant. And he laid down his life and he served you and served me so that we could go to heaven. In verse 9 of Philippians 2, and God highly exalted him. You know, before we can receive God's exaltation, we, we have to receive our own humiliation. I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm okay going, yes, I know I need God. Yes, I can't make it without the Lord in my life and in my marriage and in my family and in our church. I, I totally recognize. Listen, if you're here today and, and you've got this humongous ego and this, this pride and you've got this thing going on, I don't need nobody, man, I'm just as 
I'm a raw bone Texan, man. I'm, I'm Texan born, Texan bred. I'd be Texan dead, but I don't need nobody, man. I, yes, you do. You nip wit, you need God. You need God in your life. I'm telling you, you need him. I don't care how cool you are, how big you are, how strong you are. Y'all ever heard this name, General George McClellan? General George McClellan, 34 years of age, and President Abraham Lincoln said, Sir, I want you to lead the whole Union Army. You're talking about a, a gift. President Lincoln chose that guy. Some people are going, ooh, really? Mr. President, you want him to do it? He goes, yeah, I want him to do it. When he got the, the, the commission from the president, he wrote his wife a very telling letter. And in the letter, he said, by some strange magic, I am now in control of all the land. Uh, and President Lincoln saw him and said, uh, General, you, you ought to be careful because this is a weighty assignment. No, 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 Mr. President, I can do it all. I'm quoting him. I can do it all. And, and President Lincoln and John, Jay, John Hay, his assistant, and Secretary of State William Seward, they went to McClellan's home. I, I got this from the biography I read of Lincoln. It's this fascinating biography. And so anyhow, he, he goes to McClellan's home. It's during the Civil War, and, and man, things are not going really well. And so the president... The Secretary of State, the President's assistant, knock on the door, they open the door, they walk in, and they say, we are here to see the general. An hour and a half later, an hour and a half later, General McClellan sent a messenger to say, I'm busy, tell him I've gone to bed. Well, guess what happened to him? <laughs> what does Trump say? You're fired. I mean, he fired him. <laughs> I mean, he did. He, he, he fired the guy. You know, you, not even God can help somebody who's steeped in pride. Because that's the one thing, I mean, that sin that just blocks us between a holy God and the grace of God, unless we, unless we pull it back and say, God, I need you, please help me. And I think what it could have been for this young man, this gifted man, he, he had these abilities and he could have done amazing things, but he had his own self that got in the way. And God comes to us and says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and I, I will exalt you. So he calls him his servant, Jesus. Next, he calls him the Holy One. Did y'all see that in verse 14? If you're taking notes, yay, good luck. The Holy One, I'm going fast. Jesus, perfectly holy, never sinned, and yet here's this other paradox or irony or dilemma. The one who never sinned took all of our sins so that we could become righteous before God. Psalm 16:10 David refers to the Messiah as the holy one. And Peter said this to Jesus during his earthly ministry in John 6:69. 6, Listen to this church. Listen to this. John 6:69, 6, Peter says, "We have believed and we have come to know that you are the holy one of God." It's one of his titles. And Jesus Christ is the Holy One, the Righteous One. Number three, He's called the Just, the Just One in verse 14. Pilate six times tried to exonerate Him. Pilate's wife in Matthew 27 said, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that guy. That guy kind of scares me. We ought to let that guy go. The Roman centurion 
in Luke 23, 47, all three of these people recognize this guy is pure as the driven snow. There's really, he has not done anything egregious. Certainly he's not done anything to die on a Roman cross. I mean, man, surely these people have made a mistake. And yet there they are. They're fists are clenched, their, their teeth are gnarly, and they say, no, crucify him, crucify, crucify him, give us Barabbas. And they're like, okay, that's, that's what you want. I mean, he, he's done nothing wrong. He, he's helped you people. He's performed miracles for three and a half years, and you're sure this is the person you want to crucify? And they said, let him be crucified. And in the sovereign mind of God and the will of God, God let it happen. You know why? Let me tell you why. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish and go to hell, but live eternal life. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Number four, He's called the Prince of Life, the Archegos. It's the Greek word that's used in Hebrews 12 too that describes Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith. And by the way, this is a clear reference to deity, the prince, the prince of life. Peter told the people in his sermon that day at the temple, you killed him. And you can find, me, you can find this in verse 15. You killed him, but God the Father raised him from the dead, and we are his witnesses to these things. And number five, he's called the Christ in verse 18. The Greek word is Christos. It always means the anointed one. And if you're curious, it's 528 times. Christos is used in the Greek New Testament, 65, very interesting, alone in the book of Romans. You see this title for Jesus throughout the New Testament. And Peter here references that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah. He, he is predicted in the Old Testament. You know, if you have some Jewish friends and you really care about their eternal soul, tell your Jewish friends about this Messiah who has come. He has come. He has predicted in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and Psalm 110 and Zechariah 12.10. That's four of 400 references to the Messiah in the Old Testament who is fulfilled in the New Testament, Jesus the Christ. He is God's remedy. He is God's answer to the sin of the world, the sin then, the sin today, the sin that will come in the future. Jesus Christ says, I take it upon me and I die, I shed my blood so that everybody who believes in me will not die and go to hell. I don't know about y'all, but that excites me greatly. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Here he is in Jerusalem. Solomon's porch. He's preaching. There are thousands of people at Pentecost. I mean, what did he use for amplification for heaven's sake? What did he he have some big old megaphone? Hello, hello, no. He just preaches. And instead of being bored and instead of looking at their watches and saying, well, what, what, what's coming on next? They were they were convicted. They were convicted to the very core of their being. And here's what they did, and I'll close with their response. And this is humanity's proper response. This is number three. This is verses 16 and 19. And I I, I just couldn't wait to share this with you. There's some things that are just so golden. In verse 16, I want you to to notice this with me. And his name, through faith, 
in His name has made this man strong whom you see and you know. Watch this, Great Hills Baptist Church. Watch this. Yes, the faith which comes through Him has given this guy perfect soundness in the presence of you all. F.F. Bruce says it this way, that the man availed himself of this power by the exercise of pure, sheer, undiluted, unmitigated faith, belief, and trust. The cripple would have not known the benefit, stay with me, stay with me, had he not responded in faith to what Peter said. But because he believed, he didn't argue, he didn't say, well, maybe there are many ways to God, or maybe Jesus wasn't really who he said he was, or maybe, 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 maybe. He, he, didn't, he didn't babble all the philosophies and all the ideologies and all the theologies in our 21st century today. He didn't, and then by the way, they had plenty. They had a pantheon of gods, a plethora of gods and goddesses. But this crippled man said, I believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and he was healed. Healed, not only physically, but watch this. He's jumping up and down in the temple. He's healed spiritually. You can't keep the guy quiet. Y'all remember what it was like when you first, when you first accepted the Lord? Man, man, man. Don't you wish you could go back? And I do. I, I remember that day, and I remember in my bedroom, and I remember the peace of God. I don't know, maybe you've gotten over it. I just never got over it. I never got over that I was on my way to hell as a preacher, and God had supernatural mercy on me and said, you cannot do this on your own. Believe in Jesus Christ. And I finally did. The light came on, and I just said, Lord, save me. And He did. And I'm 54 years of age, and I'm, I remember 19 years of age. I just gave my life to the Lord. I said, God, I can't, I can't do this on my own. Would you save me? And he did. And the supernatural peace came into my life. Do y'all remember that? Do any, anybody here remember a time when Jesus Christ was so real to you that he was the life preserver, and, and he was your hope, and he was your help, and, and you believed, and you just trusted in him with sheer Pure faith. And I do. And I'm so grateful to God. If there had been another way, God would have sent another way. But there was no other way. God sent His Son. And our response is we believe in this second one, and I'm done. And this is the one. This is the one that gets us. And this is the one where we, we grapple with it, and we don't, we don't want to talk about it. Because if we have to repent, that means that we're sinners. Okay? And Peter says, of course you are. You know you are. I know you are. God knows you are. So why don't you repent? Metanoia, change your mind. Change your heart. Do an about face, you military guys. I mean, if you're in the military, you need to be here Wednesday night. I mean, you, we're, we're going to just honor you, okay? We're going to hear some stories. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. I wasn't in the military, but man, I got boatloads of respect for those guys. I talked to a guy today. Michael served two terms in Vietnam. Do, do we know what that means? Do we know that men and women are laying down their life for us? Again, it's this cosmic battle of good versus evil, and we have to have somebody to redeem us, to rescue us, to step into the gap for us. And there he is. It's Jesus. And he says, repent, turn from your sin. Epifestro, which means to be converted. 
and let Christ come into your life and be born again. So how do I do that? I, you know, you, you, you've kind of been talking to me today. I, I'm a sinner, and I know it, and everybody else knows it. <laughs> how, how, what do I need to do? You just tell me, Brother Danny. I'll pay it. I'll, uh, I'll show up. I'll give it. I'll do whatever, what, what you need done, and I'll do it. And, and this ain't this not penance. I'm not a Catholic priest. I'm a preacher of the gospel. There is no work you can do. There's no work I can do. The only thing I can do to you is say this. Say, Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner. Save my sinful soul, because when I die, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. <clears throat> Praise God. That is the gospel. We so truncated it and twisted it and messed it up. It's very, very simple. Believe in Jesus Christ and turn away from your sin and man, you're going to be on a journey. It's going to be an amazing journey. You're going to go up there. You're going to get dunked. You're going to get baptized. And then we're going to disciple you and nurture you. And you're going to be walking with the Lord. It's going to be awesome. There was this guy in Illinois a few years ago. I got his name, Nathan Burke. He was a financial analyst in Illinois. He said, I'd heard Jesus many times, but I never took the gospel very seriously until Liz came into my life. Liz was a student at the university I was attending. Praise God for the Liz's of this world. She gave me a Bible, and she said, Nathan, you need to read this book because you're not okay. You're a sinner, and you're going to hell. You say, wow, that's how to win friends and influence people. Well, woo-hoo, man. Who wants to be told that? No, she was his friend. You with me? They were friends. And real friends don't let friends drive drunk. Real friends don't let their friends go to hell without at least offering help. And she said, Nathan, you need Christ. Yeah, Liz, I don't know about that. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just in college. I'm just having a good time. And so he graduates from college. He's driving to work one day. And I'm just, I'm just going to read what he said. At this point, God spoke to my heart. And I started to develop this strong desire to learn as much as I possibly could about being a Christian. I'm like, well, I don't in the world. What, what, what happened? All of a sudden, all the witness and all the energy that Liz had put into Nathan after college, after university, he's driving down the world, around the road, and he's going, you know what? I, I need to think about this. While on the way to work, he prays and accepts Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And on that very day, years ago, in London, there was this massive England subway bombings. Now watch what Nathan Burke, a new believer, did. And I want to close with this quote. Listen to what he said. The events of that day made it very real to me how sinful humanity really is as well as how much I needed Jesus in my life. And he was born again. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. I thank you for everybody that's in this room today and those that are listening, whether it's on Facebook or whether it's YouTube or however they're listening. God, thank you that they're listening. I pray that as we've heard the gospel today, the message of hope and redemption, that we would all recognize that we do need a Savior, that we do need the Christ. And Jesus, you've done it all. 
all to Jesus I give. He gave me his all. All I have to do is say, Lord, forgive me. I repent, I believe, and you're born. You're born again. Wow. Now, that's not some fire insurance. That's not some get out of jail card. That's just not some, uh, you know, easy believism where you just say, oh, I'm a Christian. I can go live like I want to live. No. That's, that's where you're This is a born again, bona fide spiritual transformation where what was dead is now alive. And God changes you. He changes your want-tos. Forgive the grammar, but He changes you. He changes us, me. So let me, let me just ask you, as you, we don't have 5,000, we have a few hundred people, not 5,000 people here at Great Hills, but let me, I'm just going to preach the same gospel that Peter preached. How many of you here today would say, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know I need the Lord, and I'm ready to give my life to Him? Well, why don't you do it? You say, well, right now? Well, they did. Right now. You say, Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for my sins. Come into my life. I give you my past, my present, my future. I give you my all. Why don't you do that? Right, right now. And we're not guaranteed an, another day, another moment. Oh, friend, I, just, I don't want you going to hell through Great Hills Baptist Church. I, I do not want you to do that. I want you to know that there's a God who loves you. He, he seeks to redeem you. And, and if you'll believe and you'll trust in Him, repent of your sins, then right now, right here, you'll be born again by the Spirit of God. Believe it. Believe it. And before you leave today, tell somebody. Tell me. I'm usually the last person to leave this joint after the service, and I'm good with that. My wife and I, we hang out. All of a sudden, get the spiritual gift of hanging out after I preach. And we're just, you come up to us and you tell us, say, I did do what Daryl did just a couple of weeks ago. He said, Brother Danny, I prayed that prayer with you. I gave my life to Christ. I saw him today in the Discover Great Hills class, the new members class. Any other Daryls or any Darlene's, anybody in here today would say, I'm giving my life to Christ. Thank you, Brother Danny, for preaching the gospel. Thank you for exalting Jesus Christ. I give my life to him today. Maybe you're here today and you, you've been a Christian so long You've almost forgotten what it was like to be lost. Wouldn't it be awesome if God would revive Great Hills Baptist Church? I mean, what if God were to breathe life into this valley and God would say, rise up, oh, church of God, Great Hills Baptist Church, rise up and be the people of God I've called you to be. You've got this amazing past. You've got this debt-free now. You've got this amazing future. Only thing we lack only thing we lack is the dynamism and the passion and the power of God. That's all we lack. Would you be one of those with me today and say, man, I want it. I want God to be real in my life. I want to see Austin, Texas change for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And man, I want to storm the gates of hell. I'm, I'm tired of I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm, I'm ready, pastor. I'm ready to just give. Mm, 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 I'm ready to give my all. To Jesus Christ. Are you? Then come on. Come on. Man, God uses weak vessels. He just doesn't use dirty ones. So we have to say, clean me, Jesus. Clean me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Take this addiction, God. Take this apathy. God, take this complacency. God, take my adultery. God, take my fornication. God, take my sin and my drunkenness, oh God, and wash me clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and help me, God. Help me on this day, on this day in May, 
that so changed my life that now I am saved forever. Who are you? My word, who are you? That God would burden my heart so deeply that I would preach this message even if it's just for one person. So, Father, we pray in Jesus' name you would save people today, God, and change people and change our church. God, may we, may we regain that passion and that fervor and that fire, Lord, of what it was like when we first came to faith in Christ and what, it, what it's like to really live a life that's sold out to the gospel of Jesus. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. And if you're in agreement, just say amen. Amen.